we are diving into, as promised, uh, a talk, a sermon, a message about decision making. How many of you would agree with me that the decisions that we make today not only affect our present, but they also greatly determine our future, right? The decisions that we make every day in our lives, whether they be big or whether they be small, whether they be big decisions like who should I marry, should I dump this one and wait for another, decisions like should we rent or should we buy, decisions like I've got a new job opportunity, should I take it, does this fit uh, where I'm headed, decisions that are big and decisions that are small will greatly affect our destiny and our future. They will greatly affect our family. They will greatly affect the relationships around us. And I want to talk to you about these decisions. Now, I just got to preface it with this. There's two things I want to say before I dive in. First of all, I'm going to make an assumption here today that if you're here today, you want your life to make a difference, okay? You want your life to leave a legacy behind. You're not just living for the American dream. Your goal is not just to have two and a half children and two dogs and and, uh, a nice house and just to, you know, work a good job and and all of that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, But I'm assuming that you want your life to go beyond that, that you want your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. I'm, I'm assuming that what you want said at your funeral is not just, he had a really good job. She had a really great job. They had two and a half children. Uh, they had a, a, a nice house and a nice car. And I'm assuming that you want your life to make a difference and count for more than that. Am I making the right assumption? Just lift your hands if you're like, okay, yeah, I want my life to count uh, more than, than just that. The second thing that I just want to preface what, I, what I'm about to say to you it, with is as I dove into this, this decision-making thing, I realize that we're probably going to be doing a series at least by next year sometime on this because there is so much to say and there's so much that the Bible has to say about decisions. There are so many proverbs and so many uh, stories that we can read throughout the Bible about people that made good decisions and why they worked out and people that made bad decisions and why they didn't work out. But this morning, I got a one-shot opportunity with you, and I just decided if I get one shot, this is what I want you to hear this morning from God's Word about decision-making in your life. So without further ado, let's talk about how to make good decisions for the rest of your life. I realized last week when, when I gave you this title and when we put it on little invite promo cards There was a lot of pressure attached to that title, so I will try to deliver this morning. Amen? Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're about to do. I pray, God, that we would would dive into your word, and I put the pressure on your word, because that will never fail. And so, Father, I ask that you, Lord, as I speak, would deliver words to people's hearts and their minds, Lord, that will make a difference not only in this room, but outside of this room. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, there was some of you that were here that heard me talk about my son, uh, Lincoln. My son, when he was younger, uh, years ago, he he came to me, and uh, there was a bunch of family members there, and he said, Dad, he said, I figured out what I want to do with my life. I said, okay, I'm, I'm excited to hear about that, son. I think he was maybe six or seven at the time, and I said, okay, you know, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to be a pastor. I want to be an engineer. 
I want to be an NBA basketball player. I'd like to be a soccer player. And I'd like to be the president of the United States. And I said, that's great, son. And uh, I said, but how are you going to do all that? He said, oh, that's easy. I'm just going to do one for a couple of years, and then I'll hop to the next for a couple more years, and then I'll hop to the next for a couple more years. And his aunt was in the conversation, and she said, Lincoln, she said, you mentioned that you want to be a pastor, that that's one of them. She said, if you want to be a pastor, aren't you going to be sad to leave the people that you're pastoring and to go on to the engineer job or whatever else? He said, yeah, but they'll get over it. They'll be okay. And, and then he said, and I'll come back around and I'll connect with them again anyway later in my life. You know, it's these, these focuses that from the time that we are children, we are focused on what are we going to do with our lives. But I have to just let you know, kind of to, to move the conversation about my son a little bit further and brag on him a little bit, this year, Jesus has changed Lincoln's life. I have seen him grow spiritually this year more than any other year of his life. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago. He, he, uh, he, he yeah, 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 you can clap for that. He had, he had a moment where he dedicated his life to Jesus, like not for mom and dad's sake, but really for himself. He is understanding who Jesus is. He is reading his Bible and praying. He requested that we get him a new Bible because he didn't, you know, the print was too small in his other Bible. How many of you know if your kid's going to request anything from you, if they request a Bible, you should probably get excited and buy him a new Bible, you know? And so we, we bought him a new Bible. He's reading his Bible daily. He's praying. He's, he's, you know, he's doing all the other stuff, getting good grades and on the honor roll and all of that type of stuff. And recently, I have found him in his room and even in the sanctuary praying, pacing back and forth, talking to Jesus. I watched him even worship for a little bit this morning. You never want your kids to see you watching them, you know, but you kind of do this kind of thing, you know. And, and, uh, and so I was watching him this morning going after God. And here's what I, I need you to hear because Lincoln is understanding something that I want all of us in this room to understand. And it's something that I want you to grasp. He is understanding something really significant in his life. And this is a really big deal. And if you're taking notes this morning on how to make good decisions, I want you to write this down this morning because this is where we're headed. This is the big statement of where we're going tonight. Lincoln's beginning to understand, like the rest of us, that it is always a mistake to decide what you want to do before you first decide who you want to be. Now, that is so good. I'll just repeat it because some of you are still waking up. That's okay. It is always a mistake to decide what you want to do before you first decide who you want to be. Now, I'm just going to categorize our life into three components this morning. Obviously, there's many more uh, components than just three. But I want to give us three components this morning, and I've got three chairs just to represent uh, the components. The first, the first component of our life that, that I want to talk about, this chair right here, is this is who you are. And by who you are, I don't mean your job. I mean who you are on the inside. I mean who the decisions that you make that, that are based on your values in your life, your character, the things, the, the behaviors that you will do and the behaviors that you won't do, the things that you're okay with in your household or in your apartment with your roommate and the things you are not okay with. 
This chair represents who you are. And then this chair represents, right here, this represents who you do life with. This represents who you know. Everybody say who you know. This chair represents the people that you allow to speak into your life. The people that you allow to speak into your children's life. This chair represents the phone numbers in your phone, the cell numbers that you have in your phone that are important to you, and it represents the phone numbers you wish you had or you want to have in your phone. It represents the people on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, that you don't just scroll past their feed because you don't want to hurt their feelings and unfriend them. It, it, it represents the people that you actually pay attention to their life. They're people that you want to influence you. These, this is who you know. And if you're not married here in the room, it represents who you would like to get married to. Who in the room? It represents your best friends and the friends that you want in your life. So this represents who you know. And then this last chair represents what you do. So what you do, meaning your job, your career, your major that you have in college, it represents how much money that you make. It represents whether or not you have benefits with that role. It represents your, your career dreams, the, the dreams in your life, the, the, the business that you want to open, the things that you want to make happen. This represents what you do. So again, I just want to go over the chairs and make sure that you have it in your heart. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to point at the chair and ask you what, what it represents. So this chair represents what? Who you are. This chair represents what? Who you know. And then this chair represents what? what you do. Now, I want to just talk about this for a second because it's so important. And again, the preface of this entire sermon this morning is it is always a mistake to, de to decide what you are going to do before you decide who you are going to be. It is always a mistake to do that, but the problem is, especially in America and really all over the world, most people in life never stop to focus on this chair. They never stop to focus in on who they're going to be. We spend much of our life, if not most of our life, focusing in on what we're going to do. And most of our relationships, if we're honest, are built on who's going to help me get where I need to get going as far as what I'm going to do. Who do I need to know that's going to help me build my successful career path, my successful dreams, what I've got in my heart? What do I, who do I need to know that's going to help me get there? Very few people in life spend much time at all thinking about this chair. And we see this, and you can see it, all you got to do is turn on the news, turn on ESPN, turn on C-SPAN, and you'll understand why this is such a grave mistake. All you have to do is look at recent history in the United States of America. All you have to do is look at politicians with influence and power that made a bad decision that tanked their career. All you have to do is look at famous athletes and, and see how could they make a decision like that that literally they give up millions of dollars and they give up all of that influence and they give up all, all of the accomplishments that they had because they made such a dumb decision that now when you hear their name, you don't associate their accomplishments with their name. You associate that bad decision that they make or series of decisions. You look at celebrities 
And you go, how could they do that? How could they make that decision? They have so much influence. They have such an ability to make a difference in the world, but they threw it all away because of a bad decision that they made because here's the problem. The problem is they didn't take the time to focus on who they were going to be. Instead, their entire life was spent on what they were going to do. All of their thoughts, all their energy, all of their learnings, Everything that they were doing was spent on this chair and on who do I need to know to get me to be successful in this chair. Some of you don't even need to look at celebrities and famous people. All you got to do is just look into your life. All you got to do is just understand that some of you still have a hard time sitting down to dinner with your dad who left you and your mom when you were a little child and you just don't understand. Why would he do that? Why would he leave uh, mom and I? Why, why did he go through that? And you still have a hard time looking at him in the eye. And sometimes, you know, you, you would, uh, your dad would say stuff like, well, you'll understand when you get a little bit older, but as you get older, how many of you know you still don't understand? Hello? Some of you, all you have to do is look at your mom in the eye, you know, for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whenever you happen to see your mom, and you go, how could you let alcohol, how could you let drugs, how could you let those things take the place of me, take the place of our family, take the place of our life? It's because most of humanity does not take the time to make decisions based on this chair. They just focus on this chair and on this chair. And this morning, I want to help you understand why that is so important and why it is always a mistake to decide to determine what you are going to do before you first decide who you are going to be. Now let me say this. Here's the problem. And it's a problem in this room and it's a problem with humanity. Some of you in this room, most of you in this room are talented. You're bright. You're sharp. You're attractive. Some of you are people magnets. You walk into Starbucks and everybody knows your name. Y'all remember Cheers? You know? Some of you, man, you are people magnets. People, you are charismatic. They like you and you have the ability. You're smart enough. You have enough education. You have enough drive. You have enough passion to really be successful in this chair. You can really set yourself up for success to do really well with this part of your life. But the problem is if you don't take the time to spend time on this chair, your talent, your drive, your education, your charisma is going to take you past where your character can keep you. And you won't have the ability to stay in this chair very long. Your career will be will we'll be faltering, you will lose the influence that you worked so hard for, you will lose everything because you didn't take the time to spend time on this chair, on who you were going to become. Hello? This morning, I want to, you to understand that how many of you know in the United States, in America, we spend a lot of time talking about this chair, don't we? We don't ask people questions. Nobody's walking up to anybody else in the lobby and going, what is Jesus doing on the inside of you right now? Nobody's walking up to, to you and, and, and saying, hey, what part of your character is being built? And what decisions are you making about who you're becoming right now? No, we walk up to each other and saying, how's the job going? Hey, are, are you going to take the new role? 
Does that come with benefits? How much money does that make? Are you changing your major? Do you need a master's degree to, to get where you're going? This is the chair that we spend time thinking about, focusing about, talking about. We put our energy into this chair, but it is at a detriment because I want you to understand something. Your doing will always flow from your being. Pastor, that is so good. I just want to encourage myself. For, that is so good. That is so good. Okay, all right. Your doing will always flow from your being. Who you are on the inside is always going to have an overflow into these two other chairs because if usually you have to understand your relationships in your life the friendships that you have, the, the family that you have, the, 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 the relationships that you value, if you work on this, those relationships will be much more successful. They will, be, they will be much more longer lasting. You will have much more influence. You will have much more sway. And you will, you will be able to really understand how to value these relationships if you spend time on this chair. And if you spend time on this chair, this will look a lot better. And you'll have longevity to your life to be able to be successful for long periods of time. Because it's not just about what you do. And it's not just about who, who you know. It is about who you are. It is about what God is doing on the inside of you. There's a character in the Bible that I want to talk about this morning that really represents this idea in, in probably a better way than anybody else in God's word, and his name is Daniel. Now, if some of you, you know, if you, you maybe know the, the story of Daniel, and you always associate Daniel with the story of Daniel and the what? Yeah, the lion's den. You know, Daniel and the lion's den. And some of you, you know, you heard about that as you were growing up in church. And that's where most people uh, speak out of when they're talking about Daniel. But I, I want to look at a few verses, just three verses this morning, that are leading up to that story. The, the, the lion's den story hasn't happened yet uh, for Daniel. This is the, the three verses that are leading up to that story. And as we look at these verses, I want you to understand who Daniel is. So here's just a little bit of background on Daniel. Daniel is, uh, was not from Babylonia. He was not from Babylon, sorry. He was a, an Israelite, a Hebrew, that was actually stolen from his nation and taken into Babylon, really in captivity. But because Daniel is so charismatic, he is so gifted, he is so talented, he's an incredible manager, an incredible leader, he actually rises through the ranks. He ends up serving three to four different kings. And he rises so far in the ranks because of what he does, because of his talents, his charisma, his ability to lead, his ability to manage. He rises so far that he actually begins to live a life that is like where he's considered to be Babylonian. Now this is kind of a big deal because he's not Babylonian. He's, he's a Hebrew, but they actually kind of begin to consider him a leader among their own ranks. And so much so that King Darius, this king that he served uh, towards the end of his tenure, he decides, I'm going to make Daniel actually a leader, and I'm going to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. And the verses that we read, that we're about to read right now, actually tell us a little bit about who Daniel is and what he could do. So let's read these together. Daniel's chapter 6. Verses three through five, it'll be on the screen for you. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him 
over the whole kingdom. He had, I love those words in the Bible, he had exceptional qualities. Just turn to your neighbor where you're sitting there and go, I have exceptional qualities. Yep, yep, yep. Some of you are being shy. I, I just, I'll go ahead and not be shy for you. I have exceptional qualities. I love that it says, he, Daniel was not a schmuck. He was, he was no, you know, whatever. He, he actually was somebody. He, he had great influence. He, had, he, he was really an incredible leader, an incredible manager, so much so that the king is saying, hey, this guy is so good at what he does, I'm going to actually make him a leader over the entire kingdom. Now, here's the deal. This really, really upset some of the Babylonian leaders because they're going, this guy isn't even one of us. He's a Hebrew. What, what gives him the right to, to be a leader among the whole kingdom? And what gives the king the right to, to promote him like that? I mean, come on, he's not even one of us. So, so they decide, you know what? We're going to dig up some dirt on Daniel. This is like what every presidential campaign goes through as they're trying to, you know, determine who they're going to elect. They go, okay, we've got to find all the dirt on this guy. We've got to find all the dirt on this gal. We've got to dig up all the dirt, and we're going we're gonna to overturn the decision for them to become a leader by digging up dirt on them. So these guys decide, we're going we're gonna to find the story. We're going to find the woman. We're going to find the picture. We're going to find the bad decision. We're going to find the you know, the weed that, they, that got smoked when they were in college. We're going we're gonna to be the tabloid. We're going to find the picture. We're going we're gonna to publish the wrong. And we're going to figure out what this guy did wrong so he does not get the job. Look at verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption. What's the, those words? They could find no corruption where? In him. Watch this. They could find no corruption where? In him. So in other words, we got nothing about this guy. I mean, the, he, he is, look, look what it says next. He is trustworthy. He's neither corrupt nor negligent. In other words, there's no dirt on Daniel. They can't find anything. So now they got a problem because not only is this guy great at his job and he's charismatic and he's a leader and, and you know, he's amazing at what he does, but not only is he so good at that, he also has so much character that we can't even find anything wrong with him. I want to be that person, don't you? Don't you want to be that person? I want to be the person that, that people go, he's so good at what he does. He's so, uh, he's, he's so, you know, a leader and a manager and all of those things. He's so good at, at his job, but more importantly, he's not only so good at what he does, he's so good in who he is, hello? He's so good in who he's becoming. I want that for you. I want people to recognize, listen to me, I don't want them to just recognize your name. I want them, I want you to understand that when they say your name, that there is something that is going to be associated with your name. What is that going to be? What will people know, not just your name, but what's going to be associated with that, that name? So finally in verse 5, finally these men said, 
We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In other words, the only dirt that we're going to be able to dig up on this guy is that he's a follower of God. The only thing we're going to be able to say about this guy is that he prays. The only dirt we're going to have on this guy is that he reads his Bible. The only dirt that we're going to have on this guy is that he is faithful to God. He is faithful to follow God. Wouldn't we love to be known so much so that the only dirt they can dig up on us is they just love Jesus with all of their hearts? And I go, hey, if that's dirt, I'm dirty. Hello? We're not going to be able to find anything else about him. He's worked so much on this. that we can't find anything else about him. The only thing we can find is that he loves God. Again, it is always a mistake to decide who, what you are going to do before you first decide who you are going to be. So then here's the question. Because I had many of you convinced minutes ago, you didn't even need me to get you to this point. Here's the question that you go, well, how do I do that? How do I make decisions? How do I make the most important decisions about the most important area of my life? How do I make decisions in my life based on this, that I know will, will make this better, and that I know will make that better? How do I do that? How do I, how do I make those important decisions I want to give you a suggestion here, and I don't mean to be morbid with the suggestion, and, uh, but I do want to just tell you this because I think it's going to help you. I want you to spend more time thinking about your funeral. Now, some of you go, why in the world would you say that, Pastor? I mean, I came here for Easter, and now I'm back, and this is what you want to tell me? You want me to think about my funeral? Man, this is a depressing church. I'm never coming back. I'm not saying you need to think about dying. I'm saying many of us need to spend some time thinking about what do you want people to say at your funeral? What do you want them to say about you? Going back, I hope it's not just they were, they, he was just a good guy, she was a good gal, they raised their kids, they, you know, they, they held a job, you know, they lived the American dream. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that you want them to say more than that. There was an author named Stephen Covey that wrote an incredible book. If you have not had a chance to read it, I've read it a few times. I really need to probably revisit that book again. But it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And there's some amazing things in that, that book. But one of the things that he says in that book, and it'll be on the screen for you, one of the quotes of the book is, what you want said about you at your funeral is your personal definition of success. What you want said about you at your funeral is your personal definition of success. Now, I want to give you an example of how I've had the, the opportunity to do this with my own life. About 15 years ago, I, I have an accountability group that I meet with once a month by phone and twice a year in person. And we've met for all, almost 15 years at this point. And, uh, and the, the guy that was leading our group, a mentor of mine, he had us create what's called a personal mission statement. And we, we actually helped shape each other's mission statement. There's a process that he took us through. And we each had to create our, a personal mission statement. And I just want to just share with you what my personal mission statement is. This is something that I revisit 
almost every day, if not every day, at least every week. These are the words that I want to represent my life, and I want you to, to look at the screen and see this with me. My, my personal mission statement is to passionately model a life of commitment that will challenge and equip others to live courageously. To passionately model a life of commitment that will challenge and equip others to live courageously. Now, I just want to walk through these words, and I want you to understand, when I say personal mission statement, that doesn't just mean like, here's my mission statement, I'm going to get mine. Hello? My mission statement is, I'm going to be rich, and I'm going to be famous. My personal mission statement is, I'm going to be the most successful human being on the planet. Here's what I want you to understand as I tell you about these words that shape my mission statement. I want you to understand that these were not built in a vacuum by myself. They were built surrounded by spiritual people that know the Bible, that know Jesus, and that helped me shape these words in my life based on God's word and based on my gift set that God has placed on the inside of me. So let's walk through it really quickly. To passionately model a life of commitment that will challenge and equip others to live courageously. So I want to be passionate in whatever I do. I, want, I mean, listen, if you get me playing a ping pong game, it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm going to passionately play that. And here's just a secret about me. If I can't get passionate about something, I don't do it. And so I want to be passionate about whatever I do, especially, look this way, I want my passion for Jesus to grow. Hello? I want to be passionate about Jesus. When I come in here for Friday prayer, I don't want to just, yeah, thank you, God, and bless this food to our bodies and, you know, help the church and God, I don't know what else to say. Man, I want to be going after God, seeking his face, praying, reading his word and passionate. You know, the, the, I heard a statement when I was young in my faith as a teenager right after I gave my life to Christ. I heard that zeal is only for the immature and the young in their faith. And I looked in the mirror one day and I said, God, let that never be true of me. Let my passion for you grow. Lord, I want to mature and grow in my faith, but I don't want to lose the zeal. I don't want to lose the passion. I want to be passionate, and I want to model. Here's what that word means. I want to live life with the shades open, okay? I want to live life nothing to hide. Now, sometimes this, this means that people come to my house, and, and that, you know, they see Christy and I. Christy and I, don't, we don't fight. We just have discussions, and we're both pretty intense. We're both type A personality. Neither one of us is laid back. Uh, and so, we, you know, we, we don't fight again. We just have intense discussions, okay? So sometimes uh, we'll bring people to our house, and they'll be watching football. And, 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 and you know, Christy and I will have a little, you know, discussion that we have. And, and, and I'll go, hey, you know, this is, I'm, this is life. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting better. God's helping me. But I'm living life with the shades open. I don't want to live life in hiding. Hello? How many of you are sick of leaders around the country, including pastors, that live life with everything to hide and nothing to be open? Hello? I want to model. So if something's not, not good in my life, I want to be the first to go, hey, I'm not doing well in that area. I, I, I'm not accomplishing that because I want to model what that looks like and then to model for people how to grow in those situations. So I want to passionately model a life of commitment. A more spiritual term for this, a biblical word, is faithfulness. 
I want to be committed, man. I, listen, if I say I'm going to be somewhere, unless I am sick, and usually that means that my wife has told me I can't go because she doesn't want to get everybody else sick or she knows that I should stay in bed, it doesn't matter. If there's only going to be a few people there, I'm going to be there. I am committed. Everybody say committed. Small group is on Wednesday nights. I'm committed every week. I'm, if I tell you we're going to have a meeting, I'm committed to that meeting. I want to live a life of commitment, a life of commitment. To passionately model a life commi- of commitment that will challenge and equip. So just to let you know, again, we're talking about me for a second. The challenge part of me, I just wake up in the morning and that just happens. I don't have to try to challenge people. My kids will tell you, my wife will tell you, our staff will tell you, the elders will tell you, and the the leaders will tell you, I just naturally do this. The equip part of this was a newer thing for me because I used to, when I was first in ministry, I would just yell at everybody. I'd just say, y'all gotta be better soul winners. Y'all need to pray more. Y'all need to do things better. And the people would be like, I want to, I don't know how. And one of my friends challenged me one day and he said, did you ever stop to think that maybe you're yelling at people to do this or to do that or to get better and you're challenging them but you're not equipping them and teaching them how to get better? How to do what they need to do? How to be soul winners? How, how to, and so the quit part of it is something that I've more recently, just in the last 15 years, that I've taken on to my life and I'm challenged to equip people. But I, I don't want to just equip myself. My whole life is about others. Say others. It's about others. Can I give you a secret? I'm just going to, again, model a life that uh, just live life with the shades open. Last Wednesday night, I was, I was not feeling small group. In fact, can we just give an honest, and if you're a small group leader in the room, and you've ever had a Wednesday night or whatever night of the week you meet, and you were like, I'm just not feeling it tonight. Can you just raise your hands? Just, I just want you to see a bunch of honest people in the room. Come on. Come on. Some of you just, that just set you free. That was worth your morning right there. You're like, yes. I wasn't feeling it Wednesday night. I was like, I don't really want to do this. I've got all this other stuff I need to get done for school. And, and really, I didn't even want to do school. I wanted to like binge watch Netflix or something. That's what I wanted to do. But I had to go back. Wait, I want to live a life, passionately model a life of what? Uh, of what? That will challenge and equip Who? Oh, yeah, okay, my life isn't about me anyway. I got to show up. I got to be there. I got to equip somebody tonight. And that's exactly what happened. And by the way, at the end of small group, I was so glad that I showed up and led. Small group leaders, if you've ever had a night where you didn't want to be there, but you were so glad that you showed up, raise your hands. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that was almost everybody that raised their hand the first time. And I want to live courageously. In other words, I, don't, I want to take risk. I, I, I want to live so courageously that sometimes people go, they're nuts. He's nuts. They're going to launch a second location? Ugh. Are they crazy? Are they, they going to try this? They're going to do that? They're going to live on the edge? Yes, I want to live so courageously that it challenges other people to live that courageously. That's my life. Listen, I'm not here to just talk about me. I'm here to tell you, I want you to consider the words of your life because here's what happens. Those words build an invisible parameter around my life, 
an invisible boundary around my life. And when I am tempted, and I am tempted every day of my life to go outside of those words, to go outside of those boundaries, outside of that parameter, when I'm tempted to do that, those words build an invisible wall around me and I go, I'm not gonna give in to that temptation because I wanna be committed to my marriage. I wanna be committed to my children. I wanna be committed to whatever it is. So I'm not gonna go around those words. They build a wall around me and I want you to have something in your life that revolves around your character that helps you build invisible parameters around the temptation that tries to make its way in. Just to let you all know, if you're newer to the faith, look this way. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy your character. His goal is not that you would make a mistake. His goal is that you would end up dead. Hello? And so as the enemy comes in and he whispers those thoughts and the temptations come as they always do for all of us, I want you to have a wall around you. Now here's the good news. Some of you go, man, I ain't got the energy to do that whole personal mission statement. That sounds like way too much work, pastor, and I don't want to go through all that process. Here's the good news for you. You don't have to create your own words. The Bible did it for you. Let's look in Galatians chapter 5. Verses 23 through 24, Paul told us the characteristics of this chair that we should be working on, that we should be growing in, that should be helping us. Let's look at what the Bible has to say, what St. What Paul tells the church of Galatia. It says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, that's kind of the first step, by the way. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, let's say it together, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here, there is no conflict with Jewish laws. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. Here's what I want you to understand as you're thinking about those words and as you're going through your mind, do I have love, do I have joy, do I have peace, do I have patience, do I have kindness, do I have gentleness and goodness and self-control, do I have those words in my life, are those words a part of my chair, are they a part of who I am, are they a part of who I am becoming, here's what I want you to understand this morning, I want you to know that you can't do this on your own, how many of you have ever willpowered tried hard to not be grouchy when you felt really grouchy. And you said, I feel grouchy, but I'm not going to be grouchy because I'm a good Christian. And w what happens? You typically aren't grouchy to anybody else but your spouse. Right? Or your kids. Or your roommate. The people closest to you. And you're like, I was really nice all day at work to those really annoying people, I don't have to be nice in my own house, in my own apartment. Why? Because I'm just going to tell you right now, speaking from somebody that, that has tried to do the willpower thing quite often, it doesn't work. It ain't happening. Paul gives us two statements that I want you to pay attention to as we bring this, this plane to a, a landing here as the band comes forward. He tells us two things. Number one, he says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, when the Holy Spirit has control, you now have a partner in your life to help you build who you are, 
to help you become who God wants you to become. Here's the second thing that he says. The second statement he makes is, those who belong to who? To Christ. This is a partnership with Jesus. I want to help you know that the only person who did it exactly right, the only person who never did wrong, the only person who really capitalized on this chair wasn't even just Daniel. The only person in whom they could find no guile was Jesus Christ. And he can help you become more like him. And that's the goal. The goal is not to become a better version of yourself. The goal is to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. If you're in Christ, he's going to partner with you to help you become. He's going to be the one that elevates your chair of who you're becoming. And I want to read this, this passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Same passage we just read. I want to read it to you in a different version of the Bible, a more modern version called the message. And as I read this, just let this soak into your heart. But what happens when we live God's way, he brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things. Come on, somebody. A sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I want you to look closely at these last few verses. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good. It's crucified. Come on, y'all. Isn't that good? You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. And as the band comes this morning, Let's focus in on understanding it is always a mistake to decide what you are going to do before you first decide and make decisions based on who you're going to be. And I want to, as I get ready to close, I want to help you understand something. This chair, when you're making decisions based on this, this chair will look different. When you make decisions based on this chair versus making decisions based on this chair, here's what happens when you make decisions based on this chair. Who can help me get rich? Who can help me get the better job? Who can help me fulfill the dream? Who can help me get where I'm going? Who's hustling like I'm hustling to get me where I need to go? Those are the people you want to place in your life. But when you're making decisions based on this chair, who's going to help me grow as a person? Who's going to hold me accountable? Who is going to challenge me to become more of a man of God or a woman of God? Who is going to help me know how to raise my kids so they love Jesus? Who's going to help and surround me and, and help me understand that I have character flaws on the inside of me? When you're making decisions based on who you want to be, your decisions about who you do life with will look a lot different 
Who am I going to marry? Am I going to marry somebody? Am I going to be with somebody that is going to destroy building this part of my life? And as you make decisions, as your decision making in your life is based on who you're becoming on this chair, I want to let you know something. And I don't want you to forget this. When you sit in this chair and you make decisions in your life based on this chair, sometimes it will mean you sacrifice some of these kinds of relationships. Because you go, I can't, I can't buy into that. I can't have that person in my life. I can't do that because they're going to destroy this. When you make decisions based on this chair, it will sometimes be at the detriment, at the sacrifice of, you know what, I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to get the raise because it might be at a detriment to this chair, to who I am becoming. And it is always a mistake to decide what you want to do before you first decide who you want to be. Let's allow Jesus to partner with us and help us build those invisible walls in our lives, that parameter against the temptations that come. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads all across the room. If you're here today, your first step in deciding who you want to become is first deciding that you want your life to be connected and surrendered 110% to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you'd say, I'm not sure that I'm actually right with Jesus, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus, or you're here and you'd say, I, I'm not sure that my relationship with Jesus is active, meaning that, that I'm not sure that I'm living a life every day of not only making him the savior, the escape goat, the the one that I want to save me from things. I, I also am not sure that I'm making him Lord. I'm not sure that I'm making him the boss, the king, the leader over my life. And I want to give him my life, maybe for the first time, maybe as a rededication this morning. If that's you, every head bowed, every head closed across this room. On the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. If you'd say, I want to give him my life as Savior and Lord, or I want to rededicate my life as Savior and Lord. One, two, lift up your hands right now. Three, all across this room. Thank you. Who else? Anybody else in this room? That's me, Pastor. That's me. That's me. Anybody else? That's me, Pastor. That's me. That's me. That's me. Let's stand to our feet across this room. If you lifted your hand, to say yes to him for the first time, or if you lifted your hand to rededicate. There's no special thing you got to do. There's no, there's no, the, the two greatest things you can do is just pray a prayer of surrender. Just to say, Jesus, yes, you own my life. I give you everything. You're my savior, my Lord, my leader, my king. I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. But here's the second step. The second step is just literally coming back next week. It's just, it's just being faithful to come. By the way, growth in this area doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight. It happens one step, one tiny step 
one day, one decision at a time. In your spiritual life, the character part of you that God wants to build in who you are, it's kind of like exercise, y'all. How many of you know if you exercise once a month, nothing is going to happen in your body? You're just going to be mad that one day that you worked out. But if you exercise every day, a little bit at a time, you're going to begin to see changes. It's no different in our character and in our walks with Jesus. It's a little bit at a time. And you'll look back over three years from now or five years from now or whenever you look back and you'll go, man, I'm not even the same person I used to be. You'll bump into friends from 10 years ago and they'll go, you are completely different than you used to be. And you'll, you'll know it's because of Jesus. And it's because I've chosen to make decisions based on this chair of who I'm becoming. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would help us to become everything that you called us to be. Lord, our character and our decision-making would be based on who we are becoming. Lord, not just on who we know and not just on what we do. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.